All right. Hey, guys, we're live right now. We got Sergeant Major about to blow his nose, but hey, everybody. <laughs> so we got, we got Sergeant Major Kurt Woodard retired with us. Um, excited to do this episode because we've been talking about doing it for two years since I started the podcast. When I started the podcast, he was still in the Marine Corps, still on recruiting duty as the RS Sergeant Major there. So uh, had to wait. And then life kind of just happened. He started doing his own thing back home in in, uh, in Texas. And I really just wanted to get him on here because, you know, we just hit episode 200 of the podcast. And he was somebody that I've kept in contact with um, since getting off recruiting duty and not returning. And he was just somebody that was a very different sergeant major while I was um, out there on recruiting duty and just the kind of person that he was, I wanted to have him on as a guest and just kind of talk to him and kind of really just see, you know, hey, why did you stay in the Marine Corps as long as you did and stuff like that? So, Kurt, uh, if you can just in introduce yourself for everybody and then we'll kind of go from there. Hey, guys. Yeah, I'm uh, Kurt Woodard uh, from Silsby, small town Silsby, Texas, and uh, retired Sergeant Major. Uh, joined the Marine Corps in, in June of 98 and had all intents and purpose of doing four years and getting some money for college and getting out and nine 11 happened during year three. So uh, mm. in fact, I was in South Korea when nine 11 happened probably about four drinks in at a South Korean bar. So uh, we have been training the, the Korean Marines, the South Korean rock Marines all day for a uh, call for fire. And uh, there's only like six of us from our battalion there and our air officer. He had like, that was like back when it was okay to lay the government credit card down on the table and uh, <laughs> drink at the bar. So uh, that's exactly what he did. And I'm young Corporal Woodard, not knowing any better at the time. And uh, so we had a good time. And all of a sudden we start seeing 9-11 happen on the news. And honestly, we thought it was some kind of crappy Korean, South Korean movie because we couldn't understand it, you know, because it was all in South Korean. And uh, then the bar, you know, everyone in the bar just kind of stopped and started looking at us and realized what was going down. And, Shoot, man, I re-enlisted after that and then blinked and was retiring, you know, 20 years later. <laughs> wow. That's insane. That, yeah, that's in, it, it's insane because, like, you know, like, especially, like, for people like you're, like, someone like yourself, like, you, when you joined at that, that, that time, like, you didn't know, like, you, like you said, joining the Marine Corps, going to college, you know, get that, get that out of the way, like, get the, the benefits and stuff like that. I'm sure there was other reasons, but, like, you didn't see yourself doing 20 years in the Marine Corps. Not and, at all. And then you also didn't, you know, now when, so when, when you enlisted into the Marine Corps as um, infantry, did you, like, how did that happen? Like, did you decide infantry? Did you, like, yeah, did no, you know, like, yeah, I, in fact, I was like a recruiter's dream, brother. I walked in as soon <laughs> as I could. Uh, I knew when I was able to enlist right after I graduated, you know, cause I talked to recruiters a couple of times throughout now they were at school. But as soon as I got out of school, the summer of my junior year, well, I'd already taken the ASVAB. I was mm -hmm. an alpha, uh, and I walked in. I was like, hey, my name's Kurt Woodard. Uh, here, I'm here's my ASVAB score. Uh, uh, I want to be the infantry. And so they're like, they, they just started paperwork. They didn't even look up at me. <laughs> but, uh, like, hell yeah. But uh, no, man, uh, that's, that's how I got it. I knew I wanted to be, uh, if I was going to be in the Marine Corps, I was almost going to be a grunt, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, growing up, watching movies and stuff. Yeah, the Hollywood piece, but uh, my, my grandfather was in the army in World War II in uh, Normandy Beach, uh, came into uh, Omaha, uh, was at Battle of the Bulge. He was an engineer, 
just hearing some of his stories growing up. Now he never went into like the real like combat combat stories, but yeah. just some of the stuff I heard, like camaraderie stuff that I heard. Yeah. You yeah. know, uh, I was very athletic growing up. My dad mm-hmm. was a high school football coach, and so mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't a star athlete by any means. You know, I'm not. I'm definitely not one of those guys that says, oh, I passed up a full ride to Notre Dame to join yeah. the Marine Corps. <laughs> yeah. No, no, you didn't, bro. No, you did not. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, we all know guys like that, too. Yep, uh, yep, yep. Uh, but, yeah, you know, so I just knew I wanted the infantry and uh, uh, just being play, playing sports and stuff growing up. It just, yeah. you know, the whole camaraderie piece really appealed to me. Gotcha. And honestly, though, man, I use that throughout my Marine Corps career, too, the whole comparison to, like, a football team. Yeah. Like everything you kind of do, you know, yeah. uh, I compared it to combat. I know a lot of people probably do, but uh, uh, if you think about it, though, you know, combat and, and football are both games of inches. So, uh, yeah, games, game, games of ground. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, how, that's, how the, that's how the infantry came about, man. Yeah. So how quickly. So you were in South Korea. Um, how quickly until you actually got out? to iraq and like your did your first pump and, and stuff like that like how quickly did that happen yeah so crazy thing is is uh i re-enlisted right after 9-11 like 9-11 happens immediately dropped the package come back like there was like 120 of us from my battalion that re-enlisted together we made like marine corps time uh mm-hmm. uh re- all re-enlisted together in december thinking i was going to go to an infantry unit they gave me orders to quantico uh, and my, my, my battalion was on air contingency mission in Okinawa. So we didn't get to get in the fight in Afghanistan on the initial salvo there, you know? And so, mm-hmm. uh, or the, or the opening salvo. And, uh, and so I got orders to Quantico and I'm like, well, shit. And, uh, <laughs> this isn't what I wanted. <laughs> right. And, 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 but, um, yeah, I've always been pretty physically fit, you know, throughout my Marine Corps career, I stayed in pretty good shape, you know, and, uh, especially the infantry guy and leadership roles is it was, it was imperative and important. You know, that played a key part to your success in the infantry uh, is your endurance. And uh, and so I went to Quantico and I checked in there. Uh, they made me a physical training instructor at officer candidate school. And so for two years, uh, you know, I, that's, all, that's what I did. I, I ran officer candidates six days a week in the, through the woods at Quantico. And uh, then I got my martial arts uh, instructor tab there and, you know, I taught them their initial martial arts classes that they get. But, uh, but sadly, while I was in Quantico, the invasion of Iraq kicked off. Mm. And so here I am, a sergeant now, and I'm a grunt. And it's 2003. You know, here I am watching the second war kick off on the rec room TV, you know, because I was living in the barracks. And, uh, and we're in the record watching, you know, everyone's in the rec room watching the invasion of Iraq. And I was like, well, hell, man, all these support guys here, and I am this grunt, you know, like not in the fight yet. You've got yeah. guys coming in, checking in from us from Afghanistan uh, with combat action ribbons and all these, you know, you know, combat experience and stories and stuff. And, uh, and here I am, Mr. Deployment Ribbon. <laughs> and that's all, that's it. You know, like yeah. a Sergeant Grunt, too. So yeah. in the time of war. Uh, and then we started getting guys coming back from Iraq, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, I couldn't take it anymore. And I requested a time on station waiver through my, and the thing is, so the CO at officer candidate school is a full bird colonel. Mm-hmm. And so I, I requested it through him and he called me into his office and was like, Hey, Sergeant. And he asked me where I was from. And I told him, you know, Silphy, Texas. And, he stopped for a minute. His last name was Rashal. I'll never forget. It's so weird. And so this is how I think 
things have everything happened for a reason, man. But uh, and he was like, okay. Uh, he's like, uh, is your is your mom a kindergarten teacher? I said, I said, no, my stepmom is. You know, and I was like, how in the hell would he know this? And uh, <laughs> shut up, it's full bird colonel. And uh, he goes, well, it just so happens my stepmom was his niece's kindergarten teacher. His brother is the U.S. Marshal here in, in our in our local area back home. Yeah. And he just happened to be from southwest Louisiana. You know, his last name Shaw. You know, it's a pretty common Louisiana name. And uh, I was like, are you kidding me, man? Like, And so, I mean, he hooked me up. He could tell how passionate I was about wanting to get in the fight. Cause yeah. I wanted to go to the first deploying unit, man. That that's literally all I put on. That's literally all I put on my request yeah. was uh, I want to go to the first deploying unit, and mm-hmm. I got my wish, man. Like literally, they they waived my time on station and my three years and let mm-hmm. me go at two. Uh, they gave me ten days of leave, and uh, and I checked into two six. So I went home and uh, saw the family and stuff. And as soon as I checked into two six, they told me I was going to Afghanistan in two weeks. <laughs> mm. I was like, "Oh crap!" So I got my I got my wish, you know. But yeah, uh, I was a mortarman by trade. Uh, mm-hmm. I was for I was Ford observer for an eighty one millimeter mortar platoon my first four years. Uh, well, I did a little bit of everything. I worked on the gun line, squad leader, and stuff like that. But uh, for the most part, it was Ford observing. And uh, so I got to get some experience with the eleven doing that. Yeah. Uh, but I was a not eleven by any means. Mm-hmm. But I was a sergeant in the Marines, yeah. and I had a really great first sergeant. His name is retired Sergeant Major Brian Zigafoos. Uh, I don't know if anyone knows him on here or not, but uh, he's he's, and he, he's an infantry legend. I know that for the East Coast for sure. Uh, he got a silver star in Desert Storm. Was a sniper in Desert Storm. Uh, like one of the few Marines in Desert Storm that saw real no shit combat. Mm-hmm. Uh, he took out a tank man with an AT four. You know, oh, like, like it was pretty, he's, he's legit. Yeah. He was my first sergeant. He called me in the office. It was like, look at my PFT score, my, you know, my fit, my fit rep. And, uh, and he's like, Hey man, you're going to go, uh, be an 11 squad leader. And we're going to Afghanistan in two weeks. And I was like, all right. I, you know, I told him, I was like, first sergeant, I don't know anything about being an 11 squad leader. I know some 11s tactics. He's like, look, you're a sergeant Marines, right? I was like, yes, sir, sir. And, uh, He's like, good. So he called me in his office for like two hours every evening, uh, like after working hours. And we sit there and we went over infantry tactics for two weeks. Uh, and I literally learned more from him in that two weeks, that couple hours a day than I had my entire career up to that point. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and so not only was I was I excited about the deployment in that matter, that small time frame, but I felt confident about myself. You know, yeah. and so I was like, okay, maybe I can do this, you know, and uh, because, I mean, this is Marines lives. It's not, it's not like you're playing poker or something, yeah. you know, yeah. where you're just losing some money or something. This is, yeah. these are, you know, 11 other Marines lives being put in my charge, you know, and so that's a heavy burden to put on your back, especially if you feel yeah. like you're inexperienced. You know? and, how, so, and how old were you at this time? Uh, 24, 25, maybe 24, 25 in the storage. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, no. Yeah. I actually, I think I was 23, 24. So, since it's 2004, yeah, I was 24. So, and there's no, and there's no preparing you for that. Like, and I think that's something that I think that's something that people kind of forget to talk about and glimpse over it is like, Hey, like you're going to, you know, and especially in, in, in the Marine Corps right now, right. Where there's really not much going on. 
it's like you know at any given time any any marine sergeant infantry or or motor t or any mos realistically like you can be put in the position as to where like hey these guys are you know under your charge and rounds are going down range and i and it's so how did that feel like knowing that this was become like everything that you were training for for the past four or five years that you've been in the Marine Corps was actually going to come to fruition in the next coming weeks. Like, how did that feel? Like, going, well, so I'll that. say this. So I'll say this. And to key off exactly what you said there was how quick things can change. Yeah. Right. To, to, I'm, I'm going to loop circle, circle back to uh, <laughs> uh, the 9 11 piece real quick. Yeah. All right. And, and I've seen, I'm seeing it right now. Just, even out, I can see it just from talking to guys that I know they're still in, which I don't know many that are still in uh, uh, at my level. I know a lot yeah. of you know, the younger Marines, obviously, but just I only know one or two guys at, at my, my level that kind of stuck around. So, mm-hmm. uh, but even talking to those guys, like, I can tell the Marines are getting complacent and, and they're not as ready as they should be. Mm-hmm. And, and I say that because I know how that felt. Like mm-hmm. I know how I had, I had, uh, uh, you know, I was at, able to experience peacetime Marine Corps prior to 9-11 happening. I knew what it was like to having to dig training dollars up to butter, butter jam in the, in the, uh, you know, the, the quad of the barracks because you can't yeah. go out. You don't have the funds to go out and train and stuff, you know, and, and how monotonous that shit can be and how yeah. uh, it just, it just makes you, it makes you, it makes you really complacent and it makes you have a very uh, disdain for the Marine Corps. You know, you're mm. like, oh, why did I sign up for this? Sucks. You know, I'm spending four yeah. years of my life, and all I'm doing is field day, you know, three times a week, and and doing mm-hmm. classes and going to the field and deploying to Japan, and, and I signed up to go to war and stuff. You know, yeah. like that's a real thing, man. And so, yeah. uh, and I and I've seen it, and you can tell that that's kind of where they're at right now because all the guys that have been there and done that have gotten out. Yeah, you yeah. know, and so there's not really any combat experience left. Very and uh, unless unless you're older and in the specialized units and stuff, you know, yeah. so uh, they had to understand how quickly things can change. Yeah. And I'll never forget sitting there watching that TV during 9-11. Rewinding all the way back to boot camp in June of 1998. Right. We were having a history class in boot camp. Uh, the first sergeant, the company first sergeant was given the history. Cl- I'm sorry. The series commander was given the history class. Uh, all of a sudden, from the back, the company first sergeant bust in. Sir, stop the class. He was holding a bunch of, bunch of papers. Comes running down the aisle, and he gives the, uh, the series commander the papers. The series commander looks up and goes, is this real, you know, first sergeant? First sergeant's like, yes, sir. Chaplain comes in, you know, and uh, the series commander, you know, and we're dumb recruits. We don't know any better, man. Yeah. Uh, and he, he proceeds to say, hey, the 2nd Marine Division was just doing a – the whole 2nd Marine Division was just doing an exercise in Kuwait. And uh, Iraqi forces, you know, snu- snuck – you know, did a sneak attack and, and wiped out the entire 2nd Marine Division. Oh. You know, like – how you know, very unlikely, but we're dumb recruits. We don't know any better. So we're just like – everyone in there is like, what? And so the chaplain comes in to make it even more real and goes – Okay, and he goes, uh, please bow your heads, gentlemen. Because it was all males there at San Diego. He goes, please yeah. bow your head, gentlemen. Uh, and everyone bows their head. And uh, and he proceeds to say, 
if there's anyone that can't raise arms against the enemy, can you please raise your hand now? Whatever. And step to the back of the room. And there was actually two guys that raised their hand and like stepped back to the back of the room. It's crazy. But <laughs> like my, I never forget that feeling. My heart was pounding. And he's like, okay, everyone look up. He goes, uh, recruit training has been cut short by six weeks. And all of you have been given the MOS both three. And, uh, and, and, and so that just added the pucker factor into it and made it like more real and said we were going to war with, with Iraq because Iran was joining in, made this whole yeah. big thing, right? And, yeah. and we're so out of touch with everything that's going on. We were just like, oh, my God. And uh, I'd never forget my heart pounding and just be like, oh, my God, what is going on right now? So I'm yeah. an 18-year-old kid literally right out of high school, you know? And, uh, and then, he, then they say, okay, okay, everyone calm down. That's not real. And everyone's like, what the fuck? But, uh, sorry. But, uh, and uh and so but he but he said hey in vietnam that was kind of how things went down yeah you know yeah. and like there was a lot of people that got you know y'all going to infantry now and stuff like yep. that and boot camp was not as long and mm -hmm. they needed you know to cycle you through but he said mark my words he said on average every eight years in the marine corps something major happens where we have to put boots on the ground somewhere in, in some type of major conflict yeah. Whether it be a major military, you know, operation other than war or uh, or actual combat, just something yeah. big. At that time, the last thing that had happened was Somalia in what ninety two, and so uh, and he said, okay, and that was ninety eight. He said, okay, mark my words, the next four years, something major is going to happen, and every single one of you sitting in this chair will be involved in it, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so it stuck with me. And it's my and literally and I, when I watched nine eleven happen on TV, that is the very first thought that I had was yeah. sitting in that freaking classroom in boot camp and never forget first sergeant now retired sergeant major Martinez. I'll never forget his name either. Uh, uh, and and exactly what he told us on every average every eight years in the Marine Corps, something major happens where you're going to fight somebody, yeah. and at that that happened. And so now we're, we've passed that threshold, brother. Yeah. You know, we we have completely thrashed that threshold, and it is time. Like we are, we are living in such dangerous world right now. Like, uh, just the, even here in America, it's dangerous. You know, and that's yeah. a whole yeah. other you know topic in itself. Yeah. But yeah, uh, and so the Marines have to understand, and, and I know they don't, and I know they won't. No matter how much someone beats yeah. it in their head, things can literally change in seconds. Yeah, that's how quick the world. The entire world can change. Yeah, you know, and, and so you, you know that if you remember nine eleven, and you were, mm -hmm. especially if you were in the nine eleven, it's just like we went from, hey, we're drinking in South Korea to way com completely different posture. Yeah, or the the level of technology, the advancement of technology that we had from nine eleven until I retired, light years. Yeah, first like three year peacetime budget. You know, you start getting this wartime budget and, and all the, you know, I mean, let's face it, you know, the 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 money in war with the contracting and all the yeah. new technology and stuff. But yeah, uh, it was crazy. But anyways, yeah. to go back, uh, you know, where we were at, fast forwarding, you know, OCS combat, yeah. you put that burden on you, uh, mm -hmm. you know, as a 23, 24 year old kid. And I say kid because you're still maturing. I feel like at 23, 24 years old, yeah, you know, agreed. and uh, uh I don't think there's too many jobs in America that uh, a 23 or 24 year old guy or girl will have 11 other people in charge of them making life and death decisions for them. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, I, and I've talked about this multiple times, you know, and I say it all the time, like 
I think that's a big struggle with people who are combat vets, especially, and it's everybody, you know, but especially the combat vets who have had that weight of the world on their shoulders. Mm-hmm. Like it is very much a struggle, I think, for them to ever find something that will match yeah. that responsibility level. Yeah. Like because that you purpose. can't, you just can't. Yeah. And yeah. Like there's, there's nothing you'll ever be able to do that will match the level uh, of responsibility that you carry on yeah. your shoulders there. Yeah. You know? The responsibility, so, the dependability, like knowing that like yeah. other people depended upon your actions, your words, your right. strength, right. your confidence. And, and then, you know, you have that because it's, it's, and you know, it's another thing too, when it comes to what you were talking about as well, when it comes to just like the peacetime Marine Corps, like you have gentlemen like yourself, like you said, you know, Hey, I'm in the Marine Corps four or five years. And at this point I'm, I'm not, I have no combat experience. And at that point, start, you start to think in your head, like, what am I even doing here? Why did I join right. the Marine Corps? Why did I? And that is a lot of what happens now. And, and I think one thing that kind of gets forgotten, or at least maybe a little bit kind of gets forgetting to forgotten to be spoke about is that, like you said, it's a flip of a coin, but it's also, it's not in your hands. And that's what a lot of people don't understand or want to, or want to admit, you know, it's not in your hands that you got deployed. It's not in your hands that you didn't get deployed, you know, like yourself, you know, you went over there, you, you did the waiver for the on station, right. And and you, you went out of your way to make sure like, Hey, I'm going to go ahead and do this. But a lot of people like, what if it had gotten denied or, you know, what if he didn't know your family? Right. So like a lot of times about that. I I feel like there's silver linings and there's, you know, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. There's definitely a silver lining for everything. Yeah. You know, so who's to say, you know, that didn't get, you know, accepted and I got out yeah, and then, yeah. you know, and do something stupid or you know, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. But uh, there's a million things. We could Monday morning quarterback that all day long. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, the point is, though, is, is you know, once that, that spigot got turned on, it was yeah. like I was – I went to Afghanistan, boom, came back three months – four months later, went to Fallujah, came back six months mm. later, went to Fallujah again, came back. Bam, two weeks after I got back from Fallujah, the second time I'm on recruiting duty. Two weeks. Two weeks. (laughs) There was no downtime. There was no two weeks later I was in recruiting school. You know, so uh there was no leave. That that was my leave, was checking Mm. out the unit, turning in my shit and getting to recruit (laughs) to California. Oh, and man. Uh, so that I had like they put I they went, took I went the streets of, on recruiting duty. It's the streets straight, of Fallujah to the streets of Fallujah to the streets of, uh, of Jasper, <laughs> Texas, dude. Like zero. It was like culture shock. It was oh, man. And this is my home area too. Man. Yeah. And so it was uh it was crazy to me that that mm. happened. But I hell I had a DI package in, and I was mm-hmm. on an advise I was on an advisor team in Afghanistan, so I was kind of alone and unafraid away from my my unit. And yeah. uh, and I and, and I'm thinking I'm waiting I'm awaiting orders to go to DI school, and uh, because I had been an instructor at OCS, so I worked a lot of DIs. In fact, I got drill instructor pit reps while I was at OCS, even though I wasn't a drill instructor because mm-hmm. of my what I was doing. And yeah. I, so I very much wanted to go that route because I knew yeah. it. it was, I was familiar with it. Yeah. Uh, and that was back when the shakeup when they they just moved they just took everyone's package and spitballed it man mm. and uh and i ended up uh getting a random email from my first sergeant giving me my recruiting school date class i was like <laughs> not only did i not get what i wanted but i was going two weeks after he got back so oh wow uh, yeah, it was crazy but uh so i say all that to say you know even though you don't get like it's it's not up to you 
you know, but there, there are guys who very much be like, oh, I want to deploy so bad. Like, I got it, man. All Marines do. But it's, yeah. it's you don't – a lot of the times you don't hold that in the – you know, that's not your decision. Yeah. You know, it's, well, it's and it's also – you know, it's like that age old saying, you know, where, where people are like, you know, you, you, you wish for it. And then once you have it, you wish you didn't have it. Right. You right. know, like the people who have purple hearts, the people who have, you know, silver stars, the people who have comet action ribbons. It's like, you know what? I, I'd rather not have it um, as opposed to having it. Right. I'd, I'd rather still have my friends and, and you know, stuff like that. Um, yeah. So it's it's like you said, you know, grass is always greener on the other side and it's, you know. Yeah, and you know one of the things I want to talk to you about, and I've been noticing your your Instagram and your TikTok and everything, and I like how you started doing the the stories earned. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, so can you kind of talk about that and what made Absolutely. you decide to do that? Um, and then can you maybe share some stories with us? Um, because one of the reasons why I started the podcast very well back when I started it two years ago was because I wanted to have people come on and share stories for the ones who we don't really talk about right because there's a lot yeah. of people um that get i don't want to say the fame but like you have all of those people out there that are you know parts of history right and kyle carpenter and all these different medal of honor recipients and stuff like right. that but then you have these you know normal run-of-the-mill lance corporals who had this crazy thing happen to them and then they lost their lives and maybe none of us know about them. Right. right or, yeah. you know, and those names aren't forgotten because those family right. members, they still think about them every single year. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, so that was something that I always wanted to kind of have people come on and just kind of talk about the people that we've kind of lost along the way Absolutely. and just share the stories, you know, to have us, you know, be reminded of them. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So. So, yeah, man, stories earned. Uh, so I've thought about it since, like, prior to getting out, like, doing, like, some type of podcast or something, something like that. Like, I've always liked social media. Like, you know, some people hate it, and they're going to be like, oh, what? Like, I think it's pretty damn cool. I think, it's one, it's free marketing for my businesses and that sort of thing. But, uh, but I don't mind. I think it's a way to reach out and connect with people. Uh, I've connected through people through Facebook that I've, you know, met my, you know, my entire career uh so i've got a vast network all over the nation of guys and girls that i served with you know and so i think that's important to maintain that network and i noticed that getting out and kind of the struggles i was going through job wise and uh uh and, and that's really that was really the only hurdles I, I came under you know through my transition was i trusted the wrong people and i mm. wish there had been a networking group in my area to uh to kind of reach out to and to kind of tell me who's who and to, hey, I would, probably wouldn't work for these people, and here's why, or, mm -hmm. or whatnot. And so I very much kind of put all my eggs in one basket and trusted the wrong people and got burned for it initially. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so that made my wheels really start turning. Uh, and, and so I kind of had to overcome some things. And, I, and before I could even do anything with that, I wanted to get up on my feet and stuff and, yeah. uh, you know, get, get established and, you know, all that good stuff. So uh, but I, my wheels started turning. Retired Sergeant Major Zigafoos used to tell us all the time, especially when we got back from deployment, uh, he would tell us, don't ever be afraid to tell your story. Uh, he said, don't be one of those people that keeps things bottled up and don't be afraid to talk about your experiences and don't be afraid to tell your story because that's how the Marine Corps legacy lives on. Amen. The Marine Corps legacy dies when you stop telling your stories. You know, and so that, that resonated with me for years. Yeah, you know, he, he said that back in like 2006, you know, and so uh, and that, that set with me uh, for, you know, for, it still does. You know, I think it's important. 
I used to tell my Marines that, you know, as a first sergeant, as a sergeant major myself, hey, tell your story. You know, don't everyone's got their own story. Don't be afraid yeah. to tell it. You know, but uh and so that's that was part of that was kind of the idea of stories earned. You know, uh, you know, I'm no SEAL team operator. You know, <laughs> I, you know, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't get to, uh, you know, do. I, I, I will say I had a pretty cool and vast career. I got to do some really cool stuff outside the box type things, mm-hmm. uh, like Capitol. I got to work on Capitol Hill. I got to work at Marsoc. You know, for intelligence company, uh, Marine Special Operations uh, Command, uh, the uh, support company. You know, and so it, you know, it, it was really cool to experience those things. You know, and I think that made me a more well-rounded leader, kind of getting outside yeah. the box and doing that. But, uh, but you know, it just, yeah, I don't know. It, uh, where was I going with that? So I kind of had a lost train of thought there. Yeah. TBI but, um, so, <laughs> so what, um, you know, so I had, um, I, I think you actually know them, but um, Sergeant Major Guerrero and Sergeant Major Cabreras. Um, yes. No. Yeah. So uh, one yeah. of the questions I had asked them was, you know, looking back at your, your, your career, what is a memory that you have that like you immediately think back to? And like when you see an EGA or, or somebody asks you, you know, or says, hey, thank you for your service. Like what's an, an immediate thought that you can run back to and remember about your time in service, like uh, a story that you can maybe share with us and just kind of talk us through? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I got so many, man. Over a twenty-three year <laughs> career. Uh, what time? Do you, what kind do you want to hear? You want to hear combat? You want to hear uh, funny story? You want to hear? Uh, you know, obviously, I'll, I'll talk about you know one of my heroes. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, before we get off, but uh, uh, you know, what do you want to hear? Whatever you got, well, like the first one that comes to mind. Mm. Yeah, put me on the spot like that. I hate that. <laughs> You're good. Uh, I mean, we could just talk about Thailand and Libo, but I don't know how good that'd go over. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I'll say this. I, I, I think everyone's got an expiration date. Mm. And I think uh, everyone kind of realizes when it's their time to, to say, hey, this is, this is it, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I yeah, when I transitioned, I, it was so weird for me, man. Like, literally, I felt like I kind of went out on a weird note. Mm. And I say that because I literally, the last six months I was in, I was kind of gone because of my knee surgery. Yeah. And, you know, I was on convalescent leave for 60 days, you mm-hmm. know, prior to retiring. And so, uh, you know, I had that plate and stuff put in. So, that was it was, it was like weird getting out on recruiting duty, mm-hmm. like, after so long. Uh, and then as I came home, the fall of Afghanistan happened, right? And I watched mm. that on TV, you know, and that's, mm. I spent 20 of my 23 year career, you know, like either supporting or deploying or whatever yeah, for yeah. the war on terror in Afghanistan, you know? Yeah. And so that was hard to watch. Mm. It almost, it almost made me bitter, bro. Yeah. Like, and to the, almost to the point to where, like, I was all, always, obviously, I'm proud to be a Marine. Always yeah. proud of my accomplishments and things I've done. But it was almost like, what the hell was the last 20 years of my life for? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, literally, the way we, that we that we did that, and the way that it, it went down, and the, yeah. the shit that we left behind, and the people mm-hmm. we left behind that we made promises to. Like, watching all that happen the way it did, 
like that was that it was like damn like what did, what was the 20 of my 23 years for yeah you know so i was bitter for that for a little while and it took me a little bit to get over that you know yeah. and so uh and uh but i'm over that now yeah. you know it just it was just a lot to go through yeah and a lot of people felt that way yeah you know and so uh and and i was and I try to stay off social media and rant about it, but it's hard not to when you're so passionate about stuff sometimes, Amen. you know? And so yeah. you put so much heart and soul into something, you know, that really, uh, that means something to you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, cause I did an advisor team there in 2012 and I'll be honest with you. I knew then it wasn't going to last, you know? And yeah. so, uh, that's the, that's a whole nother story for a whole yeah. other day, but, uh, I will say this. So we'll talk about my advisor team then in 2012. That was a crazy that, that's okay that's a that's a good story uh <laughs> yeah uh so i was a i just newly promoted gunnery sergeant uh got promoted in october 2000 uh, september october 2011 we just gotten back from the mew literally the day we got back i got promoted uh and we didn't get to go back to afghan i just came off recruiting duty literally went to one one and th- 30 days later deployed as, as a platoon sergeant on the 13th mew uh I always went to units that were like deploying fast, man. And, uh, and so it was like, I always got what I bought you more than I bargained for. Cause I'd always tell the monitor, Hey, first deploying unit thinking, okay, six months, no, yeah. hey, 30 days or two weeks. <laughs> you know? but, uh, no big deal. Uh, and so I just got, I was, we were supposed to go to Afghanistan on the Mew and, mm-hmm. uh, and we didn't. So, uh, cause we, as we were steaming out on the Mew, uh, in two, 2011, the Arab Spring kicked off. Libya kicked off. Uh, uh, you know, there were riots in Yemen. You know, they were talking about the embassy falling in Yemen. You know, that was a big contingency for us. And, uh, and there was no Mew in CENTCOM at the time. So we made a beeline straight to CENTCOM. Uh, and as we're steaming out there, that earthquake happened in Japan. You know, we had to stop on the chalk line for a few days until they decided to send the 30, 30 worst, 31st Mew uh and we get to CENCOM and you know and then uh and we didn't get to go to Afghanistan our, our Afghan mission was it was kank because of Libya uh and Yemen so I was disappointed not being able to get back there yet because I very much wanted to get back into the fight and uh and at that time you know uh, I felt like uh Afghanistan was still it and uh so I jumped on this advisor team uh, that, at that time, it was more of a fight than Iraq was. You know, the, the be, you know they were putting more people in Afghanistan. There were more operations going on. And so uh, so I jumped on an advisor team with 2-5. 2-5 actually had made like four different platoons almost. So my, I had about 30 guys. And of my 30 guys, uh, I had like five captains or, or uh, five, I'm sorry, five senior first lieutenants. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like one captain is the OIC and okay. each of those, each of those lieutenants had three sergeants and a staff sergeant with them. Like I had a very senior advisor team mm-hmm. and we were going to go over and each of those teams were going to go out with companies and I was going to be at the headquarters, okay. uh, level of the Afghan national, national civil order police. And we were supposed to go over for nine months. Uh, and so they put us through this three month makeshift like down and dirty, uh, uh, you know, pipeline of training for this advisor mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, I go over on Advon. I'm the gunny. But I'm act, I'm like the acting first sergeant. I'm the senior listed on the team as the gunny. Yeah. In mm-hmm. fact, I had two senior gunnies on my team. I was in charge of one of them uh, was Motor T, and one of them was uh, uh, Tracks. 
but as the senior O three that made me the senior guy. Gotcha. And so per the in the infantry tree or whatever. And uh and so I went on Advon, you know, so I was going to uh, get all of our stuff, you know, make sure all of our stuff was locked on. And as, as soon as I get over into country, they told me none of my team was coming over uh, and, or only like half my team was coming over. Only one officer was coming with me. Uh, and I had just some, I was bringing one staff sergeant and the rest were sergeants. So we had a 16 man team uh, to include my Lieutenant, me and my staff sergeant. Right. And so, yeah. and the two gunnies over on this team too, they kept them. And so we had a very senior advisor team for enlisted ranking as well. But the cool thing was when I left one, one, I got to hand pick all the sergeants to take with me. And okay. so most of the sergeants were senior squad leaders and really uh, experienced, you know, most of the combat deployment sergeants. And so it was a pretty cool team that we had. I mean, we're a pretty tight group. Uh, but not only did that happen, they don't have a gear set for us. Nor, and so they're just like, hey, you're going to go live with the ANCOP. But you're not going to be in two fives AO. You're going to go to the thirty first Georgians AO and operate in the ant with the ANCOP in the Georgian Army. <laughs> but we're still going to support you. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, okay, this is cool. You know, this is uh, and we have no gear. And, and the whole time we're doing this little three month workup, every meeting with the battalion commander and stuff is all like, yeah, you got you know the advisor teams, the main effort. That's what's going to win the war in Afghanistan. And he wasn't wrong. You know, mm -hmm. putting emphasis on advising and, and getting that military up and being able to stand on their feet is, is important in how companies, you know, our country, company, countries spend for themselves, right? Yeah. So that's how we, that's, that's our, our, that's our pullout plan. Yeah. And, uh, and it just wasn't being followed because they could have cared less about the advisor teams. That was, we were as far from the main effort as, as you could have been, man. Uh, mm. We were literally, you know, kind of alone and unafraid. Uh, mm -hmm. we had, I had zero, I was, I begged, borrowed and stole, uh, from every unit on Camp Leatherneck, you know, for, <laughs> to, from, for, from everything from our vehicles, from our up guns. I found all of our up guns, all of our crew serve weapons. I found them in some random connex box that just so happens was filled and unlocked with full of Mark 19s, 50 cows and 240s, man. Like me, me, I'll never forget this. Me, my S4 lieutenant that we brought with us, like open up this thing. It was like a light shined down from heaven. Oh, like, <laughs> all these machine guns and stuff in there, right? And so, and, and they're, they're on no one CMR. We're running serial numbers. They're doing all these checks. And so 2-5 just pulls them in on their CMR and that's our up gun. We found our guns, you know? And so <laughs> like literally though, that's what it took. To get the, that calm gear, yeah, they, yeah. It, it was the most crappy con. Like it was ridiculous, man. So, yeah. just getting our gear set, like go out the gate, it was a shit show. Yeah. You know? And so I was like, "What is going on here?" And uh, so we go out into the Georgian Army's area, and the entire it was a very kinetic deployment, man. We we uh, uh, in fact, like the entire month of June, I'd say of 2012, I think we took like 26 days of straight contact. You know, but oh, uh, wow. every every day there was some type of fight going on. You know, whether wow. it was we were taking IDF or a firefight or IED or something, you know, but mm. uh, and it was horrible being with these Georgian Army Army and the ANCOP. You know, it would have been one thing if we had the support of 2 5, but the Georgians, you know, we had we didn't even have American QRF, you know, we yeah. had a Georgian Army QRF. And mm. when they get in fights, their tactics are just horrible. Yeah. And, and so I'll, I'll never forget, uh, uh, we were, we left on a patrol at like 4 a.m. because the sun comes yeah. up over there early, early, man. And uh, 
and it's like like 4:30 starts you know peaking or whatever over the, over the horizon and so it gets hot really really quick over there so if you're going to go out in the morning you want to go quick and try to get out of the day's heat but the bad guys are the same way man yeah you know, they, 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 they don't want to fight when it's freaking 130 degrees yeah. out either dude you know like they're smart and uh yeah. for the most part because we killed all the dumb ones <laughs> uh, you know but uh we, you know, so we left early, and we, we knew for a fact we were getting watched every time we left the base. In fact, we so we left, we found that me, we would go out in pairs of two. There would be two squads. There would be two Marines with each squad. So there be four Marines, a fire team essentially out, kind of mutually supporting each other mm-hmm. uh, with the squads. And uh, and we knew every, every time we would get in a fight, they would target us because we would have our desert camo on. Mm-hmm. The Afghani and cop were in green camo, light green camo. The Georgian yeah. army was in light camo. We are the only dumbasses out there sticking four guys out of all these dudes, special guys, you know, in their yeah. special gear, their special, you know, tan camo on. Yeah. So we get especially a lot of rounds kicked up around us. <laughs> so it was not special anything about it. And so. Yeah uh you know it, it absolutely attracted a lot of fire you know and uh so we ended up being able to get the finally got approval to be able to wear the georgian army uniforms on our, on our mission so we wouldn't get targeted mm. as much but uh but we knew we were getting watched every time we left the wire yeah and uh we knew there was probably going to be a fight every time we left the wire whether it was going to be a spray of a ak or a nice ambush but uh but sure enough we go out and it's probably getting we were out of ways and uh you know it was starting to get hot we were getting ready to turn around and and we're in the middle of this damn field we just left searching this compound and there's nothing around us for 400 meters man i'm talking about grounds flat as concrete and it's hard about as hard of it as hard as too and uh and that's when they opened up you know about three different machine gun positions opened up on us and uh, laying down some serious suppressive fire or some serious firepower. And uh, so, you know, we hit the deck, you know, with our you know, eye drill, uh, meat action drill for machine gun fire. And uh, we hit the deck and uh, trying to establish where it's coming from. And we, I need, we need to start maneuvering. You know, there's yeah. a lot of fire coming down on us and they're a long way away. So we need to maneuver to cover, you know. And so, because uh, there's just no way we can maneuver all the way. They were, they were you know, well out of range. They were probably 1,200 meters away. You know, and so uh, just straight up, or, or probably 900 to 1,000 meters away. You yeah. know, but they were out of range for the M4. So I'll never forget looking through my damn ACOG and being able to see them. And the wind was blowing so bad that day, too. I'll never forget. I was mother <laughs> effing, I was mother effing the wind so bad, dude, because I could literally <laughs> see. And, and so, uh, uh, and I could see you know, the position they were shooting from. I was trying to Kentucky winging that little pea shooting freaking M4 as much as I could. It wasn't doing nothing, man. I was like, this is bullshit. Like, getting, uh, anyways, the Georgians, their tactics are, they suck, man. They're, they're, not, they're not us. They never will be. And when they take fire, they don't maneuver. Mm. They get on the radio and make their headquarters call in a troops in contact every time they get into contact and mm. so to to let kind of let you know to call it a troops in contact is a big deal over the radio mm. uh essentially that averts all air power in the area from whatever they were doing and whoever they were supporting to come directly support you yeah okay so it, is that fair if, if we had limited air assets in the air and we take some ak shots yeah. you know what i'm saying is it fair to divert you know divert you know planes from an operation 
you know, to come take care of, oh, you got a guy shooting at AK and you're afraid to go maneuver on him. Yeah. You know, like that's not how this game works. You know, yeah. and I say the game because yeah, very priority. much is sometimes. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, and so that was their TTP, though, was to call in air and not maneuver. And with that much firepower coming down on you, if you don't maneuver, you're going to die. You know, and so, uh, and I knew, I was like, dude, we got to go, man. And so it was me and my doc, my doc was my battle buddy, you know, and uh, so me and doc, you know, we start maneuvering, we kind of get our butts out to dry because no one's kind of coming with us. Then our ANCOT finally start coming with us. Uh, needless to say, uh, the other squad ended up calling, we started taking significant fires enough to call in some air and air finally came on station. We ended up being out there for probably 14, 15 hours, man. And, oh, wow. uh, I mean, it was a good, a good day for us. You know, uh, we were able to push through and, uh, using some air power and, uh, you know, cleared out a village, uh, mm. essentially. So it was pretty, ended up being, ended up being, uh, the ambush turned into like an all day operation, oh, wow. uh, which resulted so I, when, in something good for us. Right. But yeah, the whole point of that was though, yeah, it was a good day for us, but here's how that good day went down. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not only were, was I having to rely on the country of Georgia and my ANCOP, but I had no Marine help, you know, and Mm. when I was promised the entire, you guys remain effort, we're we're there for you. But when it came down to it, you know, that, that's, 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 that wasn't there. And that was frustrating, you know, and I saw that firsthand, like I saw firsthand just how unimportant training those Afghanis were Mm. and getting them to where they need to be were. And so that was frustrating, you yeah. know, and so watching uh, everything after that just kind of uh, unravel the way it did going back to what we were talking yeah. about was yeah. frustrating. And that yeah. made it even more frustrating because of going through all that. You yeah. Know? So, uh, but that is just one, one, you know, story that I can remember yeah. because uh, I mean, that day we were out there all day. I'm, Georgian army comes out. This is their resupply. So again, I'm, I'm out of water. We've been out there for six hours. I had a camel back and a, and a, and a, uh, freaking uh, uh canteen right yeah. gone completely gone so they, they show up and they give us one bottle of water and and our mag and our ammo re, re, resupply with one magazine around <laughs> oh, wow. i'll never forget I, my, my lips i looked like the girl from the exorcist bro you know how her <laughs> lips are all chat like that's yeah. how my lips were in fact the initial onslaught i hit the deck so hard that my broom of my nose nailed my acog and mm. like broke my nose it busted my nose oh. my nose is bleeding like a son of a bitch not thought for initially i thought i got shot in the face <laughs> but it was bleeding so bad but yeah. uh uh but yeah it was, it was crazy man and i just took that bottle I'll never forget taking that bottle of water and it's like chunking it i was like i want your damn bottle of water <laughs> <laughs> so how long you were saying that you guys were out there for like 14 or 15 hours when you're and you were saying that, like, you know, a lot of times you were, like, taking you taking fire um, a lot throughout yeah. the 28 days that you are out there. Does it go quickly? Yeah, I think so. Or does it move slower? Yeah, like, it, how, it, like it, how, like. Yeah, I, I don't think, you, you don't really, I don't think about it. You don't think about yeah time, really, I guess. You know, yeah. when, you, when you get done, I think you kind of try to dissect it or whatever. You kind of look back but, and you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll never forget getting back that day and meeting, but leaking back up with my team, you know, mm-hmm. just like everyone's like hugging and shit, you know, and sitting down. And yeah. I don't know, dude. And that's, that's, that's another crazy thing, too, man. And that's another, when I say everything happens for a reason and stuff like yeah. that, 
Uh, and I'm not trying to get all religious and stuff like that, but this yeah. is how, and this is how I know I'm a Christian and how I know God is Amen. real is because Amen. there is absolutely no way on God's earth that none of us should not have got statistically shot just because of this sheer amount of firepower that was coming down on top of us. Yeah. And, and, and not one of us got shot, man. And Amen. so, uh, and so there was just, that's absolutely how I know. But, Amen. uh, anyways, but that's just, that's crazy yeah. things like that happen, you know? And so yeah. I'll never forget you get back. And you sit down, and and so uh, I'll have to see some pictures sometimes, man. But but we lived on this little camp, no bigger than about the size of a football field, you know. Mm-hmm. And so uh, and it had a berm that we built yeah. around it uh, with Constantina wire and four posts. You know, that was all we had. We literally got we got attacked all the time. You know, they they would try to to, to light us up all the time. We'd have to yeah. man the berm, you know, yeah. and and do our thing. But. Uh, but, how uh, was how would you say like like how would you describe like like that like being on you know, like being like because you made a post about it the other day and you know like being you know being in a firefight and then you're done with the firefight and now right. you're huddled in this room and you guys right. are all kind of like eating oh, yeah. and then joking around and then the next thing you know you're back out and you're in another firefight yeah. and Dude, then I mean, you're humor gets you through. Yeah. and that's that's another thing too i don't know if y'all got you know watch vet tv vet tv yeah it's yeah. so real but that's why i like it so funny because it's so real and i mean yeah. I, obviously there's a lot of things that's far-fetched yeah you know what i'm saying yeah. I, I guess i said i can't i came out wrong yeah there's a lot of things in there that are absolutely fabricated however yeah the sense of it that you get yeah it. you know what it, i mean yeah because donnie donnie does a very great job of this yeah. writing the stories and acting right. it out and yeah. and making it and as so close that, that, to yeah correct yeah and so you know those dark dark humor gets you through the times man and so uh i mean not even dark just humor period you know and yeah. uh we had these two tents that we lived in we had no overhead cover no overhead protection you know so uh we had just some hesco barriers around our tents but we had no – it's like if, if they, we started taking IDF, the only thing that we could literally do – there's no bunkers in our base. The only thing we could do was put our flak jacket and helmet on and go back to sleep and just say, hey, if I wake up, I wake up. You know, yeah. and so uh, – and that, that IDF messes with your head, man. Yeah. Like, again, people don't realize that either. That's an ultimate, like, psychological warfare because even if it's not landing close to you, like yeah. you know they're out there trying to hit you. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, you're like, yo, like, there's, there's someone the actively trying to blow uh, me up right it's now. It's like battleship, man. Yeah. It's like uh it's like a really shitty game of battleship because yeah. it sucks. But uh but yeah, man. Uh so you get back though and then you start talking and uh hell, even on missions and stuff, even not in the firefights, you know, hell yeah. I posted a video the other day. I had no idea I was being videoed. Oh, and, very well. Yeah, we, yeah, you know, we, we, you know, we <laughs> well, I was around, laughing. You know, dude, we used to roll around listening to the most random stuff, and you got to over there because everything becomes monotonous. You had yeah. to break up the monotony, and everyone, everyone on here is gonna be like, "Oh, what you were listening to music on missions?" Yeah, because when you're out there for 14 hours listening yeah. to each other talk consistently, sucks, you know. And yeah. so you got to, you know, helps. It honestly helps keep you awake too, in my opinion, because yeah, you're not hearing shit else anyways outside of that map. Be it's so yeah. loud, so it don't matter <laughs> yeah. what else is blaring yeah. in there, bro. You're not going to hear some shit that you need to hear out there yeah. because it's just not going to happen. Yeah. But uh, yeah. and, and you, you can and you can still hear pings from yeah. rounds over yeah. Katy Perry. I promise. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, but we were we were listening to the most random stuff, you know, and um, and I, my one of my guys had a helmet camera and a video camera, and I didn't mind him. 
you know, because I thought it was some good footage he took and stuff, and it never got in the way of missions or anything yeah, like that. Course, you know, yeah. so it wasn't like he was stopping what he was doing. Yeah. To be like, okay, I got to get this shot in the middle of a firefight yeah, yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so yeah. and he and it didn't take away from his uh, from his edge. You know, and yeah. Uh, but anyways, uh, so I didn't know I was being recorded, and we had literally we had been up for probably thirty six to thirty eight hours, and we had been to this one spot two or three different times to secure this landing zone for this British special forces guys that were coming in. Right. Uh And they were going to go do this stuff to this house. And we were going to take our Afghanis and be kind of their support group. You know, like, Hey, if they get into a fight, you got a lot more guns in the fight to bring more people, you know? And so uh, they call it being the trailer, being the trailer, what we're going to do. And uh, so we, this, the mission had gotten scrapped two or three times. And, but every time, we go back, we bed down, you know, everyone chill, and boom, we get the call. Hey, it's back on. We have to gear back up. So we did that like three times, man. My whole, you know, there was eight of us in my, in my section that I had because, yeah. like, my lieutenant took a section and I took a section. Uh, my lieutenant was up north about 40 kilometers with some other ANCOP. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, we did this multiple times. We were pissed off. We were tired. I was mad at the world, man. I was, and I was sitting there listening to the radio. I had like three radios going on. My, my Blue Force tracker, which I don't yeah. have, you know, you know, showing, you know, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, so I'm sitting here like looking at stuff and like listening to the radio. And, you know, I, I have zero desire to listen to anything at that moment. Yeah. yeah, and so, uh, but but he starts doing the Katy Perry thing. It always just kind of you know it breaks up a monotony. And you do yeah. stupid shit, man. It makes the Marines laugh. You got to understand they're going through it too. You yeah. know, even though I was a gunny and they yeah. they were both sergeants, yeah. like they were right there with me, man. They're yeah. going through the same thing. So yeah, and that's and I think that's kind of what I brought my my time in combat and my time, especially on the advisor team, working with smaller units mm-hmm. with with sergeant to the gunny or with sergeant to the staff sergeant. I think one it helped me help me still relatable to them as I yeah. came up through the ranks. Yeah. You know, and I felt like that it helped me relate better to them once I got up in the ranks because I yeah. went through that shit with them. And I brought you know, I wanted to bring that with me to, mm-hmm. to that perspective. That hey, yeah. they're going yeah. through it too. I've been there too. Like I've yeah. always got to I've always got to take a step back with my leadership and remind mm-hmm. myself I was where once to. Yeah. You know? Well, and that's and that's something that, you know, that I always, you know, appreciated about you when you, you know, you became the RS Sergeant Major, because I was I was just saying this the other week to my new my new RS Sergeant Major. Um, and I was telling him, I, I said, you know, Sergeant Major, one of the I, I've I had the privilege of having, I think, three or four Sergeant Majors in my time on recruiting duty. And the biggest difference that I had with you was that when you walked in the room it wasn't that it's not it's not that sergeant major woodard didn't walk in the room but it was you didn't immediately like when there's some sergeant majors who walk in the room immediately your ass puckers and you have to be somebody else like you have to talk a pony show but when you walked in the room you would always walk in the room and the first thing you would say is hey brother what's going on how are you You'd shake hands with every recruiter and you'd ask about each individual Marine's family and you'd say, hey, how's your wife doing? How's your son doing? And you you knew that, like, dude, I don't have to like, is there time and place for me to be a hard ass and to be a sergeant major? A thousand percent. But as an RS sergeant major, it's also my job to ensure good order and discipline and also keep morale up and make sure that, like, 
I know where you guys are coming from. I was a recruiter. So like having you as a sergeant major was a very different thing because other sergeant majors in the past, you know, when they walked in the office, you know, you, you, you check in, you know, you get into work at 8 a.m., that's from the sergeant major before you, you know, he was there at 7 a.m. in the dark with his, you know, deltas on waiting for you to walk in and not say good morning to him, you know. So, you know, very drastically different people, but the Marines felt more welcomed and understood by you, at least. And, and, and like everything you're saying, it's because you ensured that you continued that and you remembered where you came from. Well, so I think one, obviously, you know, remember where you came from is really important. In fact, when I went to the Marine Corps, my dad always told me, remember where I come from, you know. Yeah. So, uh, but I feel like that recruiters in general, you're already rolled by your staff in CYC. Staff in CYCs are already getting their shit pushed in by the CO. They're already getting their shit pushed in by the RI, by the ARI, by the ops, oh, by, by ops chief, like, they have everyone in their shit, so now, yeah. like, they don't need a sixth person, you know, or a fifth person, yeah, like, in their shit, like, they need, they need someone who, not in their shit, but gives a shit, if that yeah. makes sense, you yeah. know, and not saying that, the, not saying that those others don't, that's not what I'm yeah. getting at, yeah, I'm yeah. just saying, there's a time and a place for, to be a heavy-handed sergeant major, and I don't feel like recruiting duty is it. You know, yeah. and so uh, I feel like recruiting duty, you very much need to obviously maintain good order and discipline of the unit. Obviously, maintain, you know, ensure the Marines are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. But do so in a manner that it's not going to be walking in the RSS every, you know, in the morning. And like you said, I don't want their asshole to pucker because I want you to be able to get on the phone and, and make phone calls and do that in a relaxed manner to put yeah. you in a position to make the sale and to get that yeah. recruit. You or know, even so more if, importantly, if me being there hinders that or my presence, yeah, exactly. it's so scary for you yeah. that you suck at doing that. Yeah. You're, I'm doing something way wrong, yeah. bro. Or, or you know, more like, importantly, like the, the, the purpose of the Sergeant major in the RS, right. It, it realistically it's, it's because I should, as a recruiter, dude, and let's face it, they gave the sergeant major. They gave the sergeant major the pool program just so they could have they could have a sergeant major. <laughs> like literally, that's uh, that's that's it. You know, that, yeah. that's the only yeah, that's it. And but yeah. but it's obviously one of the most, if not the most important program because yeah, without the no, pool, 100%. they don't go to freaking boot camp. Yeah, you know? exactly. So, but what uh, I was saying though is that like it's it's imperative that you have a sergeant major that you can call and that you can go to because on the duty like a lot of time and that's the thing is that like if i don't have somebody who cares about my career my progression my promotion and then those things and or my mental health i should be able to call sergeant major woodard and just be like like my my boss is riding me everybody else is riding me sergeant major can i just get your ear for a minute and, and how many and conversations I, did we have at 10 o'clock yeah night? yeah you know, yeah like, and, or, or and whatever, that's you know and, like, and that's the, and that's the thing is i think that a lot of times people forget that and if you're not that approachable sergeant major on recruiting duty then i feel like you're missing out on what you should what you should be doing as a sergeant major on recruiting duty you know let's face it man you know i so i come up in a grunge you know obviously you know that's you know I, and i tout that because i'm a grunt to heart i'm a i got i'm a retired sergeant major but i'm a grunt you know, that's, yeah, that's 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 my bread and butter in the Marine Corps. That's what I'm mm -hmm. good at, and that's what I think made me a good leader was being yeah. a good grunt. 
And uh, I did not like recruiting duty what, yeah. at all. I hated every single day I woke up. I hated <laughs> recruiting duty. Not only did I hate recruiting duty, I hated the upper echelon so much worse. You know? <laughs> so I, we were, I was fortunate to have Major Fallon. You know, Matt was a great man. Uh, you know, and I'll say this, I think everyone kind of uh, – in the beginning of recruiting duty, especially as a commander, you have every intent and you have every means and you have, you have the want and the will to, to and, the, and the motivation to be successful and not – change anything right like not you know stick to your guns of what you say you're going to do when you initially get there i can guarantee there's no commander on recruiting dude that can say that they stuck to their guns from the day they got there until the day they left mm-hmm. shit changes man and recruiting duty makes you evolve and makes you change and do certain things as a commander to be successful you know mm-hmm. and uh and, and so just like every commander i feel like on recruiting duty i think that definitely took a toll on him towards the end uh and i love him to death that took a toll on me too though you know that, then mm-hmm. that's all the way around i felt like that towards the end i absolutely started kind of drop my pack a little bit mm-hmm. covid hit you know i'll be honest covid screwed me over man not screwed me over but but messed me up you know yeah. like you know so i'm sorry dogs are barking scared the crap out of me sneaking up on me but um uh, you know, so COVID messed me up in a sense of I was used to going home to see my daughter once a month. You know, yeah. and that's what yeah. I was I was good I was good with doing everything for recruiting Monday through Sunday. I didn't care from zero dark thirty to, to whenever. Uh, you know, give me my couple of days a month and, and see my daughter. You know, and yeah. that's what I was doing. I was flying home a couple of days a month and seeing her. COVID hit, the travel ban hit. Yeah. You know, and here I am in the continental United States. We're not in combat, and you're telling me that I can't go to Texas to see my daughter. But yeah. everyone, their mom, you know, it's not in the military, can travel all over this nation if they want to. Yeah. You know? And so that was a hard pill for me to swallow. Yeah. You know? And so, yeah. uh, and I felt like that there was some very much some upper level leadership decision making going on on recruiting yeah. duty that I did not agree with, and very much maybe disappointed a lot of my peers at the higher mm. level. Uh, I felt like it, it disappointed me because I felt like they were very much yes men, and they were all men, so I could say that. Uh, yeah. they, they were very much yes men and were afraid to say, hey, sir, hey, ma'am, that's not a good idea, and here's why. You know, yeah. so uh, – and there's, there was this colonel, I'll never forget. I'm not going to say any names on here, but there was a uh, full bird colonel one time that said uh, that we should not be called senior enlisted advisors because at the colonel level because the colonel's been in just as long as a sergeant major and has just as much experience so he shouldn't be my advisor right <laughs> and so uh which and i get it in essence that kind of makes sense right that guy yeah. you know that colonel's got just as much experience being an officer as that guy that's a sergeant major but what that colonel doesn't have and if he's a good sergeant major that colonel doesn't have the connection with the marines that that you know that you know that he does mm-hmm. you know and so he doesn't have the colonel doesn't have the connection with the marines that sergeant major does Hundred percent. And so the sergeant major job is to advise that colonel on all enlisted matters. You know, yeah. and so you very much advise him on all enlisted matters because yeah. you very much are still in touch with what Sergeant Smuckatelli is doing down in freaking you know whatever company that that you're over as a battalion sergeant major. Yeah. You know, and I say over battalion commanders. Over, yeah, yeah. But uh, and and so if if you're not doing that, you know, the sergeant major and and, and being that advisor to them. And knowing how the certain decisions can affect Marines, yeah. and you're just trying to make decisions 
for the look at me factor and, yeah. and what sounds good or what you think yeah. is good without the detriment of the force. And that sergeant major is not stepping up and saying, hey, you know, sir, ma'am, what are we doing? You know, or giving some type of ideas to, 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 to fix it. Like, then I'm disappointed in that, man. I felt like there was a lot of yes, 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 sir, yes, ma'am going on, you yeah. know, and, uh, and so that was difficult, you know, for, for me to enjoy the duty. I guess yeah. because I was as you were getting out and transitioning, battles. yeah, yeah, I was out and fight my own personal battles of, of mm-hmm. things that I didn't agree with. And I very mm-hmm. much tried to separate that from my give a shit for the Marines, you know. And so, uh, but it, it, towards the end, it got really hard to kind of, uh, uh, I guess, to kind of blend it together. Especially, yeah. I, I, I kind of, I was kind of bitter at the command because uh, you know I had surgery on my knee, you know, and. I think the reg- the district sergeant major, the new one, uh, who had just checked in, came to see me three times from New York City. You know, came to my house on Earl three times from New York City to check on me after my surgery. You know, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and no one really from the command did that. You know, so yeah. I, was, I literally lived right there from. Him. Yeah, I'm not saying yeah. I need that. Look, I wasn't. Yeah. I'm never the new. I'm never that guy. That hey, I'm hey, hey! I'm just gonna, gonna say I yeah. asked multiple times, and you said, uh, <laughs> "No, right? No, you, yeah, you know what I mean." But, uh, no, I know. You know I know. But it doesn't take much. But no, especially I where I lived at, you know. Yeah. So. Uh, that was like I was like, okay, that's cool, you know. Like, yeah. not that I needed or anything, but just yeah. like the gesture would have been nice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, no, I get that. Uh, yeah, but anyhow, but yeah, being the sergeant major there was difficult, uh, and, and because I don't know, I, it was just there was things I agree with, you agree with, things you don't agree with, but you got to stay in your lane as sergeant major. You got to remember that, and yeah. sometimes I think that was a difficult. For me, at times, was always kind of staying. In yeah, because kind of everything, <laughs> but, everything uh, kind of like bottled neck at the same time. Like you were injured, right. you were getting out, you COVID, like so right. many different things were yeah, going yeah. on at, at once Absolutely. in that time frame. So. But um, but hey, listen, we've been going yep. for about an hour. I appreciate you coming on. Um, thank you yeah, so bro. much for. We definitely got to do another episode. But one thing I'll, I'll ask you is, where can everybody find you? Um, and also what is, what's been going on with Kurt now, now that you're retired, how is the transition out of the Marine Corps and, and what, what is Kurt doing now to stay, you know, to stay active as a retiree? So, uh, I'm an independent life insurance broker. Uh, I've got contracts with nine different companies. So if you live in North Carolina, Texas, Virginia, or Wyoming, uh, you can give me a call 409-828-2045. Uh, give you a good life insurance quote but uh also you know doing a small kayak and canoe rental business here uh which has been cool i started a little llc and i kind of roped them both into that uh and so that's nice you know it's giving me a purpose and keeps me busy and something to do because i honestly feel like that's one of the biggest things in retirement is finding some type of purpose and finding something to keep you busy uh because you've done something for so long uh you gotta you guys you gotta stay busy you know yeah. you start sitting down and that's how i've seen too many guys get out in the last 10 years like have a heart attack or something you know because they just stop everything yeah, yeah. but uh that is that so is it's important to stay true. active yeah uh you know i very much stay fit i very much still work out very much uh now i've recently started running some again so i've yeah. just been able to with my knee finally you know yeah. after the surgery but yeah. uh 
uh, so, you know, I'm trying to maintain a good, healthy warrior mind, body, spirit type. Uh, uh, very much uh, paddleboard during the summertime, three to four days a week. Uh, it's a great exercise and uh, try to eat right, you know. Good. Most of that. Good. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, yeah. thank you so much, Kurt. I appreciate you coming on with us. And yes, I'll sir. talk thank to you, you brother. soon, brother. Have a great rest of the night and God bless you and uh, everything you're doing. You too, Benny. Thanks, man.